Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hi, PaleoView listeners. We're back. I know some of you are thinking, like, maybe they need to take a break. But no, we're committed. We're here for you. <laughs> you know, sound like, like I, I mean, I think as, you know, the podcasts that I subscribe to, and I, I don't actually listen to Paleo Podcasts anymore. I listen to, like, completely not this sphere, get to just switch my brain into a different direction, like arena of podcasts. And if they ever like miss one of their normal podcasting days, like I listen to um, a couple that are once a week and a couple that are twice a week, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like it's become such a part of my normal routine to listen to these podcasts at like specific times that when they, when like when my either if, if they miss a week or if my schedule for some reason gets mixed up and I don't get to listen to that podcast at my normal time, it really throws me for a loop. Like it's become, I don't know, like a circadian rhythm signal or something in the sense that my body is just so attuned to like, well, no, this is, I'm supposed to be listening to this podcast when I, you know, drive on this day to this thing. This is just what happens. I can imagine that some of our listeners are at least fairly well all two of them. into the routine, right? All tall. There's two two of our listeners are really in the routine. They listen to our podcast at a specific time doing like the same thing every single week. And those those two people know what I'm talking about. It's basically what we're saying. All right. Well I have a couple of announcements. Oh. I like announcements. Can you can you hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen? First and foremost, my blog has been hacked. <laughs> uh, but don't you worry. Not the kind of good announcement. Don't you worry. We fixed it. So if you went to the blog last week and you were like, oh, this is not good. I'm getting away from this. You can come back now. It's okay. We fixed Wait, it. What did the like hackers actually like do something or did they just try to like ransomware yeah. you? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, they put phishing malware on the blog front page. <laughs> so if you came to it, this pop-up window came that was asking you to enter information that I hope none of you entered. And um, it also locked up your whole web browser so that that window made it so that you couldn't shut it down until you completed it, or hopefully you control all deleted out of it. But anyway, um, Thankfully, we have awesome, awesome people who visit our blog who informed us of this problem because it's not like we regularly go to the front end of our blog. And then we got it taken care of so you can go back to the blog. It's safe now. And I have figured a workaround for my social media <laughs> because social media now thinks that we are also spam bots because of how many links we had in our social media to a phishing malware website. And so, no. yeah, it's a thing. So I have a workaround for both Instagram and Facebook until they get back to the thousand reports that we filed that this is a false problem. But just... 10 minutes ago, I figured a workaround for Instagram. I'd figured the workaround for Facebook like a couple days ago, but I just figured out the workaround for Instagram, which is my platform. Like that's where I, that's my safe space, you know, that's where I enjoy hanging out. So the fact that I couldn't post or comment or like was physical torture. It was like stress and anxiety and all kinds of stuff. And so I'm back and I'm feeling so good. That's my first announcement. <laughs> Do I hear jazz hands? You totally heard jazz hands. I think I heard some jazz hands. <laughs> totally heard jazz hands. <laughs> All right. So the news just gets better. I almost heard a little Gloria Gaynor there, but we didn't go there. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. 
I gotta, I gotta work up to the super extra good news. Okay, announcement number two. I finished the career day presentation for Cole's middle school, whereby I was asked to speak on being a web liberty. Ha ha ha. That's my self-depreciating title there, i.e. how to make a career out of interneting. And the stress on that was also ridiculously high. I am so nervous about being in front of a room of judgmental eighth graders. And I think it really goes back to like actually being in eighth grade (laughs) and the fear that you have of like so many mean girls. Yeah. So I I finished that. I was bullied ruthlessly in eighth grade. Like eighth grade was my like worst. It was my worst grade as well. Yes, for sure. And um, there's, there's a lot of horrible, horrible things that I had to go through in eighth grade that I came out stronger on the other side, but I would not wish that on anyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's about how I'm feeling about walking in there tomorrow. It's either going to go really well or it's going to go really badly. So we'll see. What about a, you know, travel mug full of uh, some adult beverage? (laughs) I don't think you can bring that up to school property. But maybe maybe in my morning coffee before I head over, you know. Cleverly disguised as coffee. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, this career, you have a drinking problem. (laughs) Yeah, probably not a good thing. So when I was doing my presentation for the school career day, I got to write something that is the third really good news. Are you ready? Because, girl, I'm telling you, you got to be ready. I Once I say this, there's going to be so many jazz hands, and Matt's going to need to put in Gloria Gaynor clips and all kinds of goodness. Are you ready? My hands are free. I have put the pen down. I'm good. One of the statistics that I included about my success in the internet world is that I am part of a top-rated, syndicated podcast with over 5 million downloads. Whoa! Holy smokes! I did. I totally started jazz handing away. <laughs> as soon as you said 5 million. Holy smokes, guys! Um, that's a lot of downloads for, like, six listeners, right? For, right, I know. Those two listeners just keep telling <laughs> over and over again. I don't know how many Please. devices they purchased. You know? <laughs> <laughs> My um, mom that's and your that's mom. That's it. <laughs> um, well, I think this is a nice segue to uh, saying thank you, listeners, because you are the reason why we keep coming back. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a strange, we have a really tight friendship through podcasting, but it's the kind of friendship because we live so far apart that if we weren't actually talking as we record a podcast every single week, we would probably, you know, not actually be in this close of contact. And so not only can I thank you guys for your engagement and your connection and making this feel like such a worthwhile venture and really um, helping us to to educate and and help people regain their health and and have this amazing you know impact on the world but also thank you for supporting this wonderful friendship that Stacy and I have developed over the years that uh, we probably we know I'm sure we I mean I don't think we would have without this podcast this podcast is is the the uh, routine for us that that gets us talking every week, and uh, I want to shout out to that too. Thank you. I could not agree more. And I will say that our friendship and our patience with each other, I think, also helps make us better podcasters and better people. I was in a really dark place Sunday because that's when the blog was hacked. (laughs) Just a number of really traumatic things happening. And I was texting Sarah, and I I was just like, listen, FYI, I'm going to be in bad mood tonight, okay? (laughs) She's like, maybe we should reschedule. (laughs) I was just like, here's my availability. (laughs) Do you have any overlapping availability that's maybe not tonight when you're having a grown-up temper tantrum, which are totally valid, 
All grown-ups have temper tantrums. I think it was something like, but I have to do this, and I have to do this. (laughs) And so that's why it's three days later, and I'm in so much better mood. (laughs) There were a couple text messages that I think challenged the character maximum of text messages. But, um, no, I mean, that's... um, it, I mean, what you hear, listeners, in terms of our interaction is completely genuine, and um, and I, it's something that to me, I love everything about podcasting. Except, okay, I, I don't love the later bedtimes when we. Yeah, um, the, time commi- the time commitment is- isn't my favorite, but the reason that we do it is because yes. of you and everything else. The because our podcast listeners are the best people when we go to uh, conferences, signings, any kind of event. It's always the podcast listeners that are the most engaged. They're the ones who who know us well. We have amazing conversations and amazing connection. Um, and it's, it's just such an amazing uh, way to communicate with people that I certainly find is very different from anything else that I do. This, this way of... Uh, verbal communication as opposed to written, right? It just, there's so much more ability to emote and share passion in the way that we phrase things that just doesn't come through in a blog post or a social media post. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. I totally know what you mean. So one of the places that we have met some of these awesome listeners is at Paleo Effects. Are you going to maybe yes. ask our listeners if they're going? Yes. Are you going? Because I'm going and I'm really, really excited to meet you or see you again if we've met before. Paleo Effects is this coming week by the time this this airs. Uh, so it's, or I guess, next weekend or it's it's the end of April. And it's uh, it really is one of my favorite events. Um, I go to it every year. Um, this year I am doing a talk on gut health and I'm, I'm just about done. So I'm, I'm really, I'm also really, really excited that I'm, I'm very like organized this year because I haven't always been organized every single year I've gone to Paleofax, but this year I seem to be, uh, (laughs) learning, learning the hard way and, and, uh, being a little bit more, um, a little bit more, uh, proactive in terms of of developing my slides for my talks, but um, I'm also speaking at the satellite event Health Entrepreneurs FX, which is on Thursday. And these are two amazing events. So Health Entrepreneurs is really designed for people who are launching, running businesses within the paleo and alternative health communities. Um, but there's a, a pretty diverse range of people who go to that. So it goes everywhere from people who have a product they want to launch or they have a product and they're just looking to expand. Um, I've met people who are looking to fulfill sort of lobbying roles um, and also bloggers who are just looking to understand how to, to build their audience and uh, monetize their blog will also go to this event. Uh, so it's a really, really amazing event. We do um, uh, small talks on, on specific subjects and then we do these small group sort of breakout sessions where we do sort of small group workshops within the the bigger event. And it's, it's like a full day from eight in the morning till 10 at night. And it's just packed with uh, amazing, amazing tidbits of information. I always learn new stuff when I'm, I go there. Um, and I'm going to be doing a talk that's really specifically about um, specific concerns in terms of protecting health for entrepreneurs, because it is sort of a different challenge to um, make time for things that are really, really important from a physical health perspective within an entrepreneur um, type lifestyle. So um, that's what I'm going to be talking about, but there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of talks about marketing and audience building and monetization and, um, also, it's a really amazing networking experience. So if there's specific connections that you want to make, Health Entrepreneurs FX is a really, really great event if you are uh, on that sort of more businessy side of things. And then PaleoFX is just – what I love about this conference is there's a lot of science in it, but it's always with this like practical how, you know, how to, what do I take home from this and do aspect. It has an amazing vendor floor. 
with um, there's always some like new startup company with some amazing new product that I find there or three or four. Um, and if you can, if you are a person who loves to be spontaneous and just like buy tickets and fly to Austin, Texas with like a couple days notice, you can save 35% on your ticket to the Paleo FX event with the code MOM35, M-O-M-3-5. So um, that helps make a last minute travel a little bit more affordable. But it's it's just such a fantastic event. And if you um, know that <laughs> like travel on two days notice is not your thing, um, this this year, um, pen- penciled in for next year because it, it really is an amazing event, and and I do go every year. I love it, and this year I'm going to be really easy to find because I'm going to be hanging out uh, at booth. I believe it's booth 17 in back um, for most of the conference. If I'm not on stage in a panel or or talking, that's that's where I intend to be um, with a new uh, company that I'm supporting their launch of called strength in food, which is really, really exciting. And I'll tell you guys all about that more, uh, next week or, uh, maybe the week after once launch is actually official, but, um, but that, that's really, really exciting. So I'm going to be really easy to find and just come hang out. We're going to have free water at our booth. We're going to have cell phone charging stations. We're going to have uh, food samplings. We're going to have um, me to hang out with. Hopefully that's a draw. Um, and so I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Please come by and, and say hi. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's it's really just, it's it's such a dynamic event and it's not like anything else that I do all year. So I'm I'm gearing up for it. I could hear your jazz hands. There were suggest- there was jazz hands, and there was also one of those like, uh, like kayuk, like punching the upwards. Raising the roof. No, no, that's this one. Raise the roof is this one. It's more like a, you know, uh, I don't know where you like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is just going downhill really fast. What's I our know. topic this I- week? We have a topic. Um, this topic this week, we were sort of, uh, having a conversation about what to cover. And I mentioned that I had just spent like weeks finishing up a pretty epic science nerdy blog post on EMFs or electromagnetic fields. And I believe you said, Hey, we should do that in the podcast. Yeah. I think my, Um, I think my comment was, let's do that one. Cause I personally, (laughs) as our listeners know, if they've been listening for a while, selfishly choose the topics that I'm interested in. <laughs> well, and this is something that I get asked about all the time. And, you know, I'm sure we have at least 12 questions about electromagnetic fields in our uh, podcast inbox. Um, but I didn't, I didn't grab any today because I just felt like there, there's just such a, such a big topic. I just kind of wanted to go through it fairly methodically. And then if we have follow-up questions, you can tackle that in, in future podcasts. But it's something that has become this sort of buzzword. Um, I think in the same way that candida and leaky gut have become a buzzword. And there are a lot of people, and because of websites that, you know, spout to this effect, um, who believe that EMFs are the source of their health problems, um, who you go to quite extensive lengths to avoid EMF exposure, who are spending a fortune on shields uh, to protect themselves against EMFs. And there's uh, this sort of growing um, growing list of um, sort of these, you know, the pseudoscience blog articles, website articles that we see on a lot of varying topics that we cover on this show that are, are really pointing to electromagnetic fields as being sort of like the scourge of, of human existence and the, 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 the true cause for the rise in chronic illness. And I wanted to go through the scientific literature because there really are a lot of um, really big, rigorously done studies uh, evaluating the health effects of electromagnetic field radiation. And uh, I really wanted to sort of tease out where the grain of truth is behind some of those anti-EMF claims and where there really isn't science to support those claims and give people like, here's here's the protections that make sense and here's the stuff where you're wasting your money. And I think um, it's one of those things that 
you know, these very conspiracy type articles, the reason why they're so compelling and this is becoming such a big buzzword is because there is this grain of scientific truth. And I think it's really important to sort of honor that, you know, we do have some data showing that in a very specific situation, uh, we, we want to exert some caution and, and everything else. I mean, spoiler alert, everything else is really, really a non-issue. But let's take a step back and really talk about, like, what do we mean when we say EMFs? So I've already mentioned EMF stands for electromagnetic field. Um, but that is any of a bunch of different types of radiation or our electromagnetic radiation. The field part just means that sort of like temperature, right? You can measure temperature at any point in space and temperature changes on a gradient. So you can measure it, move your thermometer an inch and measure it, and it'll be slightly different if you're going going towards a heat source or away from a heat source. So an electromagnetic field is like that in the sense that it has a measurable quantity at every point in space and it, it changes uh, in strength, depending on how far away you are from the source of that electromagnetic field or that electromagnetic radiation. But electromagnetic radiation um, really just means that you have some kind of particle traveling through space, uh, typically a charged particle. But for example, visible light is a form of electromagnetic radiation, and it's from the movement of photons, which are not charged. So movement of a particle or movement of some kind of charge causes uh, this electromagnetic radiation. And there's a, a variety of different types, and they are separated based on uh, frequency or wavelength. So uh, wavelength and frequency are inversely uh, proportional to each other. So you can say something with a very long wavelength, a very low wavelength, has a very uh, uh, low frequency, long wavelength, or very short wavelength is very high frequency. And visible light sort of falls in this very narrow spectrum. In terms of lower um, frequency radiation that we've got, Things like mobile phones, microwaves, radios, computers, power lines. This is a lot of the things that people are concerned about when we talk about EMFs. Higher frequency than visible light, we've got things like X-rays, um, uh, gamma rays, UV radiation. And one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to separate those out, and and um, I'm going to we're going to put a link to my blog post in the show notes so that you can read this, see the scientific citations, see some of the graphics that are in that post to help explain. But when you get higher frequency, so a shorter wavelength than visible light, you're typically getting towards the, a type of radiation that's more likely to be ionizing. And when you're a longer wavelength or a lower frequency from visible light, you tend to have radiation that is non-ionizing. And that is a really important difference. So ionizing radiation like x-rays or like ultraviolet radiation from the sun, what ionizing means is that actually this radiation has enough energy that when it hits an atom, it can knock an electron off. And so that uh, ionizes that atom. So an, uh, an ion is an atom that's missing an electron that it would normally have. And so that actually, when we have that type of radiation in our bodies, for example, in UVB rays from the sun, that can cause damage to our DNA. And when enough damage to DNA builds up, that increases risk of cancer because it increases the chances of that cell basically not being able to grow or divide properly. So it undergoes something called transformation, which basically means it loses the ability to be the type of cell that it is and it becomes a cancer cell. So ionizing radiation really is a concern for human health. Non-ionizing radiation is not high enough energy to ionize an atom, so it can't actually change the molecular structure of an atom. So this encompasses most of the types of radiation that we're exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis. It's non-ionizing radiation. And everything, that we, you know, when we talk about EMFs as the sort of buzzword as opposed to like the physics technical term, when we talk about EMFs in terms of, you know, uh, health concerns due to EMF exposure, what we're talking about is all of these very low frequency, non-ionizing radiations that we are exposed to at very low levels, but kind of chronically because we live in a world where we use devices that use electricity. So anytime you have a moving 
charge, like an electron, that electron emits electromagnetic radiation. So what's really interesting is we have these collections of very large studies um, and studies that have been done by um, nonpartisan groups, so basic science research or um, done by um, committees, you know, uh, societies, academies um, that are not funded with industrial money. So like really just non-biased research um, that actually dates back to the 1970s. There's, there's a tremendous body of, of, of research looking at EMFs and looking at different kinds. So looking at, um, you know, looking at what type of exposure we're getting, uh, and how much exposure causes a problem. And what's interesting is that we have, you know, we have rodent studies trying to replicate it. We have human studies. Uh, so there really is a, is a huge amount of data. In rodents, um, the, expo- the, the cusp of exposure to electromagnetic fields um, in terms of how that would correlate to uh, a human's exposure, we see health problems at approximately 25,000 times more radiation than what we get on average. So um, what we can say from animal studies is that the amount that we're getting is much, 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 much lower than the cusp that's causing um, health problems, like increased cancer in animals. And that's kind of important because when you're translating uh, cancer studies from rodents to humans, Rodents are typically much more resilient than humans. We're actually um, a sort of a more fragile species from a cancer perspective. When you're doing animal studies in rodents, typically if you're applying some kind of toxin, uh, typically you are uh, applying, uh, you know, 100 times more, 1,000 times more than what's actually required. So we can correct a little bit for this or say, okay, well, the rats are getting 25,000 times more radiation than we're getting. How does that correlate to humans? It, it still is such a big number beyond what we get that we're, we're still in this very, very like this is not equivalent. So we can really say that, um, that, it's, that data at least indicates that we should not be worried about it from a, from a cancer perspective. In terms of the human studies that have looked at whether or not there is a link between electromagnetic field exposure and uh, cancer incidents, um, the ones that have looked at that have been sort of the, the most similar to what those rodent studies are looked at people who live close to power lines. And what's actually really interesting there is that most of the studies have shown there's no association. That's the majority of the findings. There's been a couple that have shown a very, very small increase in um, uh, childhood leukemia for only children with extremely high levels of exposure. So exposure that you would only get if you were extremely close to a power line. Those power lines are really, really strong, like those giant ones. And you live there all the time. You never get away. So, um, and not even not even all of the studies have shown that particular um, link. So it's a very very small percentage of children who are exposed to that level, and that small percentage of children have a small increased chance of childhood leukemia. So that's one of the little grains of truth. Um, studies that have looked at other types of EMF exposure. That's a little bit more of a everyday exposure for people like Wi-Fi in classrooms, um, like like Bluetooth have shown zero and, and very uniformly big rigorous studies have shown a zero increased risk of, of cancer from those studies. Um, but power line workers, uh, people who have occupational exposure, they're hitting these sort of cusps of very, very high exposure where they do have increased cancer risk. So we have this sort of like, what is a regular person exposed to and what is uh, what is a strange situation where someone might be exposed to very, very high levels? So people who are exposed to these very, very high levels do have an increased risk of cancer. What's interesting, and, and we'll get into this in some of the cell phone studies, is that even in these sort of power line um, electrical occupations, right, these electrical occupations that have higher exposure, we see this increased cancer risk at very, very high levels of exposure, but in this sort of moderate range, we actually see decreased cancer risk. So uh, I know when I was first um, 
first doing the research for this, it was based on a conversation that I'd had with a, a visiting professor when I was doing um, second postdoctoral research fellowship at the University of Arizona. And this topic had come up over lunch. And it was such an impactful conversation that I still remember it. So, you know, a decade later, and I'm, I'm researching this for, for an article for my blog and a completely different, you know, career now. And this conversation comes back to me. Um, and they had just uh, finished, um, you know, reviewing this, this paper um, that had been looking at uh, cancer risks of people living t uh, close to power lines and showed that um, the closer to a power line you lived, the lower your risk of cancer. And they were just blown away. They thought it was so neat. And so it was actually tracking down those research papers that started me on this entire research uh, project. Um, there have been some other more recent studies that um, have both confirmed that and added it to this idea of like very, very high levels of exposure can increase cancer risk. But cell phones are probably one of the biggest concerns for people because we've become this like cell phone. Uh, I don't even want to say addicted. I think dependent, a cell phone dependent society. And uh, cell phones have just become, I mean, everybody has one. Um, kids have them. Like it's, we're all carrying it around. We've got it in our pockets. We're sleeping with them on our bedside um, table. Sometimes there's sleep apps where it requires the bed to be like under, or the phone to be on, in the bed with you or under your pillow. So this becomes a more relevant question just because it's some exposure that we really are all exposed to. And there have been a couple of very, very large studies that have looked at um, cancer risk and uh, different types of cancer with cell phone use. And interestingly, there is some data in terms of brain tumors, not all uh, carcinogenic brain tumors. Some of them are benign. So um, the Interphone study was a very, very large study. And um, interestingly enough, showed uh, no increased risk of brain tumors with, with high uh, cell phone use. And the lowest risk of brain tumor was actually in like the second to highest group of cell phone users. So there's some, it, their, their data would imply that there's some protective effect uh, with cell phone use. Um, they also showed... Uh, what do they showed think that no mechanism is? Well, so it's interesting because uh, electromagnetic fields are being used more and more in medical therapies. So there's this whole separate side of research that is uh, understanding... Uh, electromagnetic field uh, effects on cellular health. And overall, they're, they're used to improve cellular health. So they can actually um, basically help um, uh, rev up the mitochondria in a cell. So it helps uh, a cell kind of go through this autophagy, spring cleaning, and improve its ATP production, which overall improves cellular health. And there's a variety of new uh, sort of medical therapies that are being based on this particular information. And this is probably, uh, it probably translates to, you know, in terms of evolution, the fact that we were outside all the time. So we were exposed to a lot more electromagnetic radiation from the sun. I mean, the earth has magnetic poles. So the earth has an electromagnetic field. Um, cosmic radiation is electromagnetic radiation that we're exposed to all the time. So we actually have evolved being exposed to natural sources of electromagnetic radiation. And by putting ourselves indoors, we've actually, in some ways, reduced our exposure. We've reduced our exposure to natural sources of electromagnetic radiation while increasing our exposure to sort of more organized sources of electromagnetic radiation with uh, electric devices. Um, so there's there's this whole separate field of, of research that's trying to understand different wavelengths of electromagnetic radiation, how those can actually be used therapeutically. So it's... Um, it's, it's an interesting idea of like you're depositing energy, but not enough energy to alter molecular structure. Um, so you can think of it in sort of many of the same, um, benefits that you get from sun exposure, from sunlight, but not obviously the UVB radiation, which is the one that increases skin cancer. Um, we get a lot of benefits from photobiomodulation therapies, and that's sort of the same idea, but within typically infrared and visible wavelengths or infrared saunas. That's a type of electromagnetic field. So those are all, I mean, infrared isn't, but uh, a lot of the other ones are in the visible wavelength. Infrared is, is sub-visible. 
Um, but there seems to be some benefits to cellular health with some uh, of this very, very low level energy deposition, not enough energy to change molecular structures, but there is some energy being being deposited into our tissues. And what's really interesting to me with this type is, is certainly uh, there's a few other studies that do show some increased risk of, of brain tumors, but there always seems to be this like moderate exposure range where we see a reduced risk. So the interphone study overall showed no increased risk and there was a you know moderate cell phone use showed decreased risk of deep brain cancers, which is and uh, benign brain tumors, which is is fascinating. And to the point where like one of their uh, groups in terms of uh, uh, call time, and I think it was like uh, you know a thousand hours of cumulative call time over the study, but up to like fifteen hundred, um, some something like that, had like a fifty percent reduction in the incidence of, of brain tumors, which like there's not very many things that you can do in your life that reduces your risk of something by 50%. So uh, granted, these are very, very rare cancers to begin with. So reducing chances by 50% doesn't actually translate to a very big change in incidence. You know, like you're talking about uh, you know, two people out of a few hundred thousand instead of three people in a few hundred thousand. Like that's the type of incidence rates we're talking about for these. But it's still a really, really interesting phenomenon. But it's not completely consistent. So the uh, Million Women study, which was uh, a British-based study, did show that uh, just among their highest and longest time uh, cell phone users, that there was an increased risk of a type of benign tumor called an acoustic neuroma. And that was about double the risk or a little bit over double the risk for um, that one group. But they showed for, um, you know, general, like normal levels of usage um, compared to people who didn't use them. They actually showed about the same level of risk of uh, glioma and meningioma, if not maybe a slightly decreased risk of glioma. It wasn't statistically significant. Again, these are such rare cancers. You need to have hundreds of thousands and millions of people in your studies to be able to get enough incidence for statistics. Um, the Danish study also showed no increased risk of uh, brain cancers. They actually showed a potentially decreased risk of, of brain cancer um, with uh, sort of moderate use compared to no use. Um, this particular study does have some design flaws because it was based on um, billing information. And if you're using uh, a business phone, that's not going to reflect the number of hours that you're using. So it did have some reporting um, issues that could make it a little bit more challenging. But um, it overall showed no no difference in terms of, of brain cancer rates. Uh, there was another uh, French study, and I don't, Cernet, I'm, I'm, I'm pronouncing it as though it was French. Um, the Cernet study found no increased risk of gliomas or meningiomas for regular cell phone users versus non-users. But again, it's sort of found in the super, super like high level cell phone use. Um, we're talking about people who are using the cell phone, um, not using a headset. The cell phones attach their head for hours every day. So typically these studies show the cusp for this like higher risk of self of uh, brain cancer is a thousand ish hours, depending on the study. Um, so at a thousand cumulative hours over a fairly short, you know, few years period of time. So you're talking about two, three hours cell phone use every single day without using a headset. Um, they had a slightly increased risk of brain cancers, gliomas and meningiomas. So two, two and a half times higher risk. Um, so that doesn't measure usage, like when it's in your hand for that many hours a day, only at your brain. So here's, here's one of the problems that we have with these studies. So um, because we're talking about very rare cancers, um, these studies have to be done over a very long period of time. So most of these studies were started in the mid to late 90s. They ran for they have to typically run for at least 10 years to get enough data to be able to draw conclusions because you're following people and you're you're seeing what habits are and then you're following their 
health outcomes. Um, so, and some of them have run for longer than 10 years. So you're talking about studies, some of these studies concluded in, you know, 2010, 2012, that sort of time frame started in 95, went to 2012. Like that's a really long, robust study. But um, if you recall, smartphones, uh, the, you know, the first iPhone was released in late 2007. So we're looking at studies where the majority of the data in these studies comes from uh, the older cell phones before smartphones. And we've really changed how we use smartphones uh, or if we use phones because of smartphones. So we're more likely to hold in our hand. Uh, smartphones have speakerphone, which was not a feature on these old phones. We have headsets now. We have Bluetooth sets. We have Bluetooth in our car. We have Bluetooth speakers. We have so many different ways of talking on the phone now where we're holding it away from our head or um, using the phone in a way that we didn't use it before. So that is important for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we're not holding it to our head as much as we were. Um, electromagnetic radiation falls off very, very quickly with distance. Depending on how you're measuring it, it falls off as the distance squared or the distance cubed. So there's a like orders of magnitude difference between amount of radiation getting into your brain, holding the phone up to your ear versus holding it in front of you and looking at it. Um, like it's, you're just, that radiation is hardly able to penetrate when you're holding the phone at arm's length compared to holding it against your head. So um, most researchers think that this increased risk of brain cancer that was found in some studies for only very, very high cell phone users is not actually applicable to smartphones because of that difference in how we use them. The other thing is the frequencies used were slightly different. Uh, so modern cell phones use a lower frequency. So that's also thought to be even safer because it's basically has less energy to deposit uh, to the point where like we might not be enjoying this, you know, modest decreased risk of brain cancer from cell phone use. Um, but there, there is this sort of collection of studies that show with very, very high cell phone use, uh, you know, hours and hours a day with uh, older cell phones, right? Not smartphones. Generally, there's some, there's some smartphone data wrapped up into these big data sets, but it's mostly, uh, you know, the older sort of flip phones, those styles, styles of phones from the like, early 2000s, late 90s. Um, also, as cell phones, as we get more cell phone towers, that also lowers the amount of um, EMFs that are being emitted. So when a cell phone actually emits radiation is when it's communicating with a cell phone tower. So just improving the cell phone tower network actually reduces EMFs because it doesn't have to emit as much of a signal if the cell phone tower is closer. So for example, if you're holding your, if you're trying to use your phone and only has one bar, it is emitting a lot more radiation than your phone if it has all four bars and that little 4G beside it. So that also completely changes the equation and almost certainly for the better. So we've got this like grain of truth of, um, you know, kids who have extremely high um, exposure because they live close to power lines. Um, uh, workers in the field, like power line workers, have an increased risk of some cancers. And we have these few studies showing that at least the old school cell phones in the old way that we used to use them at extremely high usage does increase risk of, of cancers. And it's these little bits of data that these, um, you know, anti-EMF um, you know, websites, products, whatever, are, that's that's what they're latching onto without providing the context of, you know, there there are a few studies that have really scary data, but the when there's, whenever you get a study like this, um, especially when it's a safety concern, there's always replication studies. The replication studies can't replicate the data. And for every one study that might show, oh, you know, EMFs, lower sperm counts or whatever it is, there's... 10, 15, 20 studies that refute that. So the, the vast collection of research is showing that there's absolutely no reason to worry about this, although it is good to use a headset or, you know, whenever possible to, to sort of minimize the amount of time that you're holding your phone directly against your head. Uh, if you're somebody who spends a lot of time on the phone, like that little bit is probably a, a worthwhile 
uh, precaution, but there's no evidence that we need to be turning off our Wi-Fi networks at night or disabling Bluetooth. Um, and actually, a lot of the uh, shields that are being sold to minimize EMF exposure actually magnify it. So that's a complete waste of money. So don't don't waste your money on EMF shields. Um, and um, and really, I mean, it's it's the amount of studies showing that. Um, that EMS are, uh, you know, some kind of concern. It's it's a very similar analogy to the amount of studies showing that uh, man-made climate change isn't real. Like it, it really is sort of a, a similar comparison. The vast, vast, vast majority of research confirms EMFs are not problematic from a human health perspective, just like the vast, vast, vast amount of uh, research points to man-made climate change being a legitimate concern. Um, and what's interesting sort of on a final note is I get a lot of, you know, in part because of um, the AIP lecture series and communicating with so many people with chronic health problems and autoimmune disease, um, I get a lot of people who um, – are concerned about EMF hypersensitivity. So they have identified some kind of reaction that they have when they're around electromagnetic fields. And there have been studies that have tried to understand what EMF hypersensitivity is. They've um, been double blind. So the person who um, you know, says they have EMF sensitivity and, and joins the trial doesn't know if the elect electromagnetic field is being turned on or turned off and they're sitting in you know, some kind of Faraday cage. So that there's like no electromagnetic radiation where they're sitting whatsoever when it's off. And the researcher who's running the trial also doesn't know when it's turned off or it's turned on. And in those studies, they have not been able to show any correlation between the symptoms that the person is experiencing and whether or not the electromagnetic field is turned on or off. And they haven't been able to replicate. So they haven't been able to replicate what the person reports happening when they have exposure to an electromagnetic field. And I, I want to just sort of emphasize for any of our listeners who feel that they may have an electromagnetic field sensitivity, that this is different than saying that you don't have symptoms. Nobody's saying that your uh, symptoms aren't real. Um, what it, this research points to is that EMFs may not be the cause um, because the, the symptoms are not reproducible in laboratory conditions. So it's kind of important to understand that there's a lot of things that can go along with electromagnetic fields that are understood as sensitivities, uh, like flickering fluorescent lights, um, the glare from uh, computer screens, um, bad air quality in workspaces, stressful environments, the blue light exposure from screens that can wreck sleep quality, um, the hum or the noise, the sort of very, very low frequency noise that some of these things can make that can disrupt sleep quality. So there's a lot of other potential explanations for the uh, symptoms, but it isn't specifically an electromagnetic field sensitivity. There's something else that kind of goes along with an electric device that is the most probable cause. Um, and so what the, the good part of that is... Uh, a, you're not crazy. It just means digging a little bit deeper and, and figuring out um, a little bit more of the details. And B, a lot of the precautions are probably not necessary. So depending on exactly what the mechanism is behind that for you, um, you know, the whole, again, um, the, the shields um, are fairly well, they're, they're pretty much just a scam. Um, there are certainly some products that claim to block EMFs that actually increase the exposure. Um, and the effort of, you know, going, going and turning off the Wi-Fi before going to bed, those types of things, um, that is, uh, almost certainly not worthwhile. It's certainly not worthwhile for all of us who don't have any kind of symptoms when we're around electromagnetic fields. For someone who, who does feel some kind of symptoms, it's it's more likely if you're sleeping with a wireless router in your bedroom, it's more likely the LED lights that are disrupting your sleep. Um, that can be as simple as moving it to another room. So um, digging a little bit deeper and seeing if if some of those solutions can be simplified so that you're not going to such incredible lengths to reduce exposure because that part is almost certainly not necessary. But it it really surprised me as I as I dug 
through the research. Um, I was not expecting the research to be as unequivocal as it was that there's this like grain of truth with this, you know, very, very high level of exposure, increasing brain tumors. Um, and, and then like, no, there's just no other, uh, you know, any of the other, other, uh, sort of claims that, that websites make, none of else of it is borne out by the science. So there's this, um, internet, thing that I've seen go around a bazillion times. It's a photo from a kid's science experiment where they put uh, seeds or something and one is like next to a router and one is not. And they um, show how the one next to the router dies. And what's interesting to me is I see something like that and, you know, it has a a disclaimer like, these are both in the exact same conditions. I'm like, how could they be in the exact same conditions if they're in different rooms? Like, and, and also, what's the control on the child's study? It's fascinating. Like, it's, you know, it's interesting. But hearing the science coming from you is refreshingly different than information on the internets because I just feel like we've talked on the podcast before about how information circulates on the internets without a source. And um, when I see that study, like the questions that I want to ask is, was one closer to a window? Was one overwatered or underwatered or a variety of of conditions um, that would affect growth or were the seeds diseased to begin with? Was there, how many times did you try this experiment over and over again to produce the same results? You know, different things like that. And what's interesting to me is I, I know that it's, it's easy to see something like that and to think, well, this is compelling and it's, it's interesting and it goes with my convictions of a healthy lifestyle and therefore I want to share it. But I challenge us all to, no matter what you see or read, to question it, whether it's from us or whether it's from somebody else. Like, question all of the things that go into whatever claim is being made and what sources are being used. Because, you know, I was going to ask you, essentially, to, to debunk it. And they're like, why even bother? Like, it's, <laughs> it's so basic. I'll just well, debunk it myself, uh, you know. I have, I have to say, Snopes.com has an excellent article about it. Interesting. So, I um, even, it hadn't even occurred to me to go to Snopes because I was like, this is silly. Like, it's just silly. Yeah. And, and actually, Snopes.com is a really wonderful website that um, I, um, I love because they, they have very, very balanced, very, very fair evaluations of, you know, sort of urban legends of all kinds, including lots of scary um, science fair projects, because they also have one for the uh, microwaved water killing a plant, which is, you know, foolish. I mean, if you put it on the plant when it's still boiling, yeah, it's going to kill the roots. Um, But there's nothing different about microwaved water versus regular water. Um, microwave is also non-ionizing radiation. And um, have we ever done that on a podcast? Do we need to do a podcast about microwaves? Way back in the day. And, and I don't know if it was as, you know, in-depth as you go into now. So we can do, we can do an in-depth why microwaves are perfectly safe podcast if, if our <laughs> listeners would like for sure. Um, but Snopes.com is, is a really excellent because they also link to, to research. So if there's research that shows uh, refute, but they'll link to news articles, they'll link to, you know, they'll all different kinds of things to sort of build the, the picture. And they'll also, you know, they'll give you a, um, you know, a yes or a no. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, busted or confirmed. It's, uh, to me, it's very much, you know, it's proven or unproven. For those that haven't been, it's like Mythbusters, but like Mythbusters, in real life, in, in written form, without uh, without Jamie and Adam. Sadly, it's just not the same. <laughs> but um, but it's it's um, it's very much the sort of same idea, um, but with a little bit more rigorous, I think, um, science methodology behind. So they'll sometimes replicate um, 
a, a, a urban legend as well. They'll actually like, do the experiment on for Snopes, um, but they'll do it with like a way more, you know, higher statistical sampling so they can actually run statistical analysis, which Mythbusters often had samplings of three. So let's, you know, often their conclusions were maybe not um, – not rigorous enough to to be able to like pass a peer reviewed journals you know criteria, but still Adam and Jamie obviously. I mean the B team's awesome too. I'm just saying I'm a big Mythbusters fan as well. It's amazing. I miss them. I think wish they would come back. Um, but yes, Snopes.com excellent source for things. And also you know I do especially when it when it's in this sphere. I don't like to to venture. Um, out of sort of health and wellness, diet and lifestyle too far. And there's certain things where, you know, if I got into, you know, talking about every single medication, I would just talk about pharmaceuticals for the rest of my life. Um, but whenever it's it's these types of topics, I do try to write very in-depth articles. Obviously, I don't have the team of creators that Snopes has because uh, it's just me. But um, I do. I do try to, to balance to provide a balanced uh, and uh, reflective of the body of scientific literature article. Which we all appreciate. And I know how much effort it takes. So thank you for covering this topic. As a final reminder, I just want to encourage our listeners to remember that just because you read something on the internet doesn't mean it's true. There's a couple of particular blog posts that get circulated regularly to me and ask for my opinion on it about this particular topic with people saying that removing these devices has changed their lives and their health and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's interesting, Sarah, that you would specifically bring up something like LED making a difference or, um, there's also, there's also some psychology. I was about to say, because my perspective has always been more, the power of positive thinking and the belief that you will feel better is a powerful tool for a lot of people to actually, to actualize that result. And so from my perspective, that's always kind of how I'd considered it. But your introduction of the idea of it could just be that by do, by removing that thing, they no longer have LED lights. They're no longer their sleep is no longer disrupted, which makes a big difference in their health. And that to me makes a lot of sense. So I appreciated that perspective. As well, well, I just want to add add to what you just said because um, there is a separate psychology aspect, which is um, you know internet addiction, smartphone addiction. These are there are studies now that are are describing this. Um, as psychological conditions, social media, um, there's a variety of studies showing that if you are a person with a, a tendency toward depression, that uh, time on social media can magnify that quite dramatically. So it doesn't seem to cause depression, but if you're already someone with depressive tendencies, it can magnify and drive it. Um, there's a bunch of, of studies looking at now at um, – smartphone addiction. I heard a really wonderful story on NPR a few weeks ago about um, turning your screen to grayscale, to, to black and white, um, and how that can break addiction because everything is so designed to be so stimulating with all of the colors that we see on our smartphones now. Um, and so there's this whole other side of, you know, when you decide you're going to put this thing down to reduce your EMF exposure, you're also kind of going cold turkey from a potential addiction, or you're removing a potential stress in your life. Um, I know, you know, a few years ago when my husband and I were trying to decide if we would have a third kid and um, I really wanted a third child, he was not on board and we ended up, you know, deciding together not to, but it felt like to me, like every single person I had ever known in my entire life was on Facebook with a baby bump. And it, it drove me, it drove me so crazy. I like gave up. Facebook at that point, it, it was so magnifying my, um, you know, not just my emotions, but like the, 
the confusion and the, you know, just not really knowing what the right decision was, like that whole angst aspect of it. And so there's an aspect of these other things that happen when you decide to reduce your EMF exposure by, you know, not using your cell phone anymore, not watching television, not being in front of your computer. You're avoiding a lot of things that are stimulating, a lot of things that are potential psychological stressors. You're going cold turkey from potential addictions. And you're also, you know, reducing LED exposure and like all of these other things that that are a little bit more physical than psychological. But um, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, there's, you know, the internet and technology is the most amazing thing, but it's not a hundred percent awesome. Like we really need to understand how to use it smartly and judiciously to get all the benefits from it without having these negative consequences. And with that, Mike drop done. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the paleo view. And if you enjoyed the show or you found it interesting, please share it with friends, family, colleagues, and we love your referrals because they help us reach more people to share our message of a healthy living. And keep deleting the podcast episode and then re-download, delete and then re-download and then delete and then re-download because it's yes. obviously ranking up really fast. Like, thanks, awesome. Thanks, moms, for the <laughs> 5 million downloads. That's awesome. Um. And if you haven't yet left us a review in iTunes or however listening or however you are listening to the podcast, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. And Sarah, safe travels. Maybe by the time you get back, Facebook and Instagram won't actually believe that I'm a spam bot anymore. <laughs> uh, I hope they figure it out that you're like a real person and not a Russian bot real fast. I'm approaching my eight-year anniversary with these same social media tools. So, listen, let's get it together. Clearly, I have not <laughs> been spamming the internet. I didn't work on, you know, building this material for eight years in order to just spam them this week. It's not, it's not, <laughs> wasn't my plan. All right, but also, you don't need to go through any of these details to the eighth graders. Are you sure? They don't need to hear the word spam bot. <laughs> I did. I did include one bullet that says you have to have a good host and a good developer for when you get hacked. <laughs> <laughs> and all and all of the the firewalls and all of the things. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's enough of that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I have really good news. I love good news. What's your good news? My, I figured out how to get around Instagram thinking that I was a, a spam bot, which... Isn't as good news as Instagram no longer thinks that I'm a spam bot, but I can Instagram again, so that's exciting. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because there's like, there's like the part of this news that I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Instagram decided you're like a Russian spy robot program? I don't know what they think, honestly. It's all the political commenting you do on Instagram? No. But, no, it's not no. at all. Can't be. But somehow well, you triggered their little their little whatever their algorithm is for detecting that. Sorry. But not actually I'm trying not to use that word. I know that must have been frustrating. Uh when you say sorry it's very Canadian, so it makes me feel right at home. So just You saying. know anyway, let's move on. You know I have thoughts about that. Uh, this is, and I describe the difference between Canadians and Americans. This is like blooper material now. Uh, if Canadians are going through a crowd, we're like, sorry, sorry. I know. Sorry. Literally... Like, Americans, Americans go through the crowd, they go, excuse me, excuse me. But Canadians go, I'm sorry, sorry. Like, sorry. what are you sorry for? We've had this conversation. I'm 
sorry that you're in my way. That's, what it <laughs> that's is. not an apology. <laughs> <laughs> but that's 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 what Canadians mean. Yeah, it's it's a it's just a. Different well, I know what they culture. mean, and what they mean is not a sincere apology. So, no, I mean I'm sorry that you have to get out of my way because you're in my way. <laughs> yeah. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.